<clears throat> hope you'll pray for me this afternoon. The Lord will bless me during the time that I try to stand before you. Uh, one of my probably my problem this one of my problems this week is just the fact that I have really had lots of spiritual scriptural thoughts. Now none of them probably link together to make any kind of sermon at all. So uh, again, I hope you'll pray for me as uh, as I try to bring something before you. Uh, I want to turn back to a portion of John chapter fourteen that we looked at last time, uh, <clears throat> and with this kind of what I would like to think about. I want us to think of, of this afternoon if we can. What it mean, what it means for us uh, to be disciples of Christ, uh, Brother Adam has skirted all around that as he's talked through things in the Book of Matthew, uh, maybe without using that exact terminology. But what does it mean for us if we're going to be today? People say uh, you're a Christian. Uh, well, if we go back to the, uh, they were first called Christians at Antioch, uh, and it was not a. Uh, complimentary terminology uh it was more of a derogatory term when people were called christians in that day and age today uh it means all kinds of things to all kinds of people and i'm going to include that to say it means all kinds of things to us uh here as primitive baptist as well uh but if we can just take a broad scan across some scriptures this afternoon uh, in a little bit of time, I hope to maybe help us to focus our minds a little more. What does it mean to be a disciple and a follower of Christ? When Jesus Christ says here in Romans, uh, Romans in John chapter 14, uh, this portion of scripture that we used last Sunday, where, where Thomas was wanting to know, uh, Jesus had told him, I'm going away. And Thomas says, uh, where are you going? Uh, uh, you know, where are you going and what is the way? You know, we don't know the way. How can we go with you? And Jesus told him, I am uh, very, uh, you know, one of those statements that goes, harkens back to the Old Testament, if you will. Uh, I am that I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus tells him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And we know as we look across scriptures uh, everywhere from the first chapter of the book of John, Jesus says, uh, John the Baptist said about uh, uh, John himself that he was full of grace and truth. Uh, so there is no truth that's outside of him, outside of his recorded word. Everything about him is truth and so forth. And uh, I love, as, as Primitive Baptists, a lot of times one of our focuses has been you know, we love to, to dig and to talk about the truth of God's Word, uh, the truth of salvation, uh, the truth of things that most people don't even talk about, subjects that I've talked about here over a number of months, whether it be about election or predestination or other things that are laid out in God's Word that most people won't even touch because they're afraid to even bring those subjects up in, the, in Scripture. But what is the truth of these things? Well, uh, one thing we need to focus our hearts and minds on as, as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we want to be followers of the truth. Uh, but we don't want to worship truth. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. I'm not saying not worship Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth. Yes, we're to worship him. But don't become so enamored with worshiping the truth of God's word that we think that that is everything that it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. Matthew, as Brother, as Brother Adam has gone through the book of Matthew over the course of the last year and several months, uh, and we'll be going for quite some time at the, at the uh, 
speed we're going at. I'm, that's okay, Brother Adam. I'm not saying a bad word about that. Uh, uh, as we've gone through this thing and looked at it, we've seen a lot of things that Jesus has done. And, uh, uh, and, and, and as we look at that, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ as a disciple, that's the definition, I'm to be a student learner, pupil, follower of Jesus Christ, that's what makes up being a disciple, then I not only want to know the truth of God's Word, but I also want to know the truth of what God's Word teaches me to do. Uh, and then I don't want to just know the truth of what God's Word teaches me to do. I want to do what God's Word teaches me to do. Because I can't follow Him. Jesus didn't go around just making speeches all the time. Jesus went around helping people, upbraiding people. Uh, and He also, because there were times when He confronted people with His own deity, uh, there were times where they chased Him out of town. Uh, and tried to throw him off the hill and tried to stone him to death. So uh, all of that comes, I think, in the, in the realm for me and you today is saying, I'm a follower. I'm a, I don't want to just be, uh, have a label of being a Christian. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which means I'm learning all I can about him personally and not only am I learning, then I'm doing something with it as I live here in this old world. Uh, so that that covers a broad range of things uh, that we could that we could talk about here this afternoon, uh, and probably keep us busy for the rest of our lives preaching just that that volume of information that's that's laid out here to say. I not only want to know Jesus, I want to know about Him. I want to know Him personally. Uh, as a friend, and then I also, if I'm going to follow him, then I've got to get off of this stand. I've got to get off of this bench. I've got to get up and go actually follow him and say, what did Jesus do? What did he, what did he do while he was here? Uh, well, one of the things, if I could, I can start it out this way. Maybe I'll start it out this way this afternoon. One of the things that we know he did was one of the first things he did once he reached the age of 30, which was the age, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus fulfilled the law to a jot and to a tittle, to, a, to the smallest part of their language, to the smallest part of punctuation, to the largest part of the language or whatever that they had uh, as far as size-wise. Uh, he fulfilled it all. Uh, and he fulfilled it in the fact that uh, he waited till he was age 30, the, uh, the Levitical law age for a priest, before he began to take up his priesthood, uh, which was after the order of Melchizedek, and to go and preach. And he started that ministry out by going and finding John the Baptist in the wilderness and seeking him out uh, and sought to be baptized of John. We have it recorded there in that first chapter of the book of John where uh, John the Baptist sees him coming. One of those things that we don't often talk about, maybe I, I think I've, I know I've mentioned it over the years, but one of those things I think we ought to talk about at least a little bit is uh, John the Baptist knew this guy. 
He knew him before he showed up out there in the wilderness. Uh, in fact, we have recorded for us that when uh, Mary was expecting, had been, had been informed of the angel that she was uh, uh, with child, she went and was with Elizabeth, her cousin. Uh, and uh, when she greeted, when Mary greeted Elizabeth, her cousin, her cousin was already six months uh, uh, pregnant, if you will, uh, pregnant with John the Baptist. And the, and the Bible tells us that he... John the Baptist, in the womb of Elizabeth, being filled with the Holy Ghost, leaped for joy in his mother's womb at the very greeting and salutation of Mary. I mean, uh, for all those people that think and believe that you've got to be... uh, fully grown, past a certain age, whatever, you know, whatever, that you've got to be all of these things to be born of the Spirit of God, my friends. I can tell you, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. And uh, I don't know, uh, I cannot say this, I'll just say say it this way. Uh, That may be more of a true pattern for how people are born again than what many of many of us think it is that uh, it's a certain age, certain time, certain whatever you know that uh, this man when he's adult, that man you know uh, when you think of what uh, about all those little babies that are taken uh, taken in the in the womb. Uh, and that we mourn about and cry about. It gives me comfort to know that God himself can reach down into the mother's womb and cause one to be born of the Spirit of God. Uh, and we see that example in John the Baptist who leaped for joy. Okay, so all of that said, uh, I bring that up just to say, uh, Jesus and, uh, and John the Baptist were cousins. So uh, as Jesus was going to John the Baptist, who was Elijah, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one that was to come before him and declare, as Isaiah has told us, he would be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, uh, uh, crying out and making the way, paving the way, preparing the way for Jesus the Messiah to come because he would be the first one to come and say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand and began to preach those messages. And so when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, his cousin, whom he knew, he didn't just, hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm over. He says, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He recognized him as who he was, Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the, lamb, the Passover Lamb that was coming. He recognized him. And Jesus came to John again, remember where my subject is. We're following Jesus, right? Jesus went to John and, and, and asked to be baptized. John's response was, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And he said, and Jesus told him, nevertheless, uh, you know, suffer it to be so because it's something he had to do. I mean, and I, I say he had to do, uh, it was necessary for him to go through a cleansing, if you will. He had to be purified. He's fixing to go into the priesthood. So what does he do? He goes down uh, to John the Baptist. <coughs> maybe, uh, maybe I should say it like, you know, John the Baptist, Elizabeth's son, Zachariah's son, was a Levitical priest himself. Uh, John the Baptist probably was one of the last of the Levitical, true Levitical priesthood uh, that w- that was in the Old Testament that didn't carry over to the New, uh, and uh, maybe one of the last prophets that was ever there, also declaring who he was when he saw him coming. Right. Uh, so uh, this man, this man, John the Baptist, was a was an amazing person, and Jesus went to him to be baptized. 
uh, as he began his ministry. So I think if we're following Jesus, if we're going to be disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to be Christians after that type of terminology, one of the first things <coughs> we should do is do what Jesus did and take up our cross and follow, follow him. Now... So Jesus then after this, uh, one of the next things recorded for us in Scripture, I know I'm not going to a bunch of Scriptures this afternoon and say, okay, in verse this and chapter that, that's okay. We're going to just talk about it a little while, okay? One of the first things Jesus did was he began to go and call his apostles to come and follow me. Uh, take up your cross. Uh, and so he goes out and he finds uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. Uh, uh, you notice J Peter, James, and John's uh, uh, response to this one. That <coughs> excuse me. That came up and says, come and follow me. And, uh, and, and not only that, he told Peter, James, and John, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You think you're, you think you're good fishers. Uh, uh, Peter had been toiling all night, by the way. Uh, one of those two occasions when he had toiled all night and not caught a thing. And Jesus says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible records that straightway they dropped their nets and started following after Jesus. That, boy, did, uh, and how many times do we, uh, do we see uh, James and John and Peter and Matthew and all the other uh, apostles that were called Matthias, Philip, all of those that were called out to come and be apostles of Jesus Christ, uh, how many times do we see them call the uh, disciples? The disciples were with him. Well, we know there were many disciples, multitudes of disciples, but these, t these 12 who were apostles were also called disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they forsook all and followed him. And so, uh, we, again, we have these examples of, of people that were following, following him. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to say if uh, every person that Jesus called somewhere along the way, uh, when he called them out, now he called these men specifically, I think, for those, uh, for those apostleships, and they, uh, they were obedient to that call and dropped everything that they had. But there were others that Jesus called along the way, or maybe those that heard him talk along the way, uh, and he says, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, follow me. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, well... I've got to go back and, uh, and bury my dad or I've got to go take care of my crops or I need to see after my wife or I've got this ox I need to... There were all kinds of excuses uh, uh, that they had. There was a rich young ruler uh, uh, that followed, uh, followed after him that wanted to do know what he must do to have or inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, uh, well, do you know the commandments? Yes, know the commandments. Uh, uh, you know, thou shalt not steal, kill, uh, commit adultery, and all those things. And he says, all of those I've kept from my youth up. And, uh, and Jesus says, well, one more thing you require. Take all that you have and sell it and take up your cross and follow me. And the Bible records this in a couple of different places. In Luke, uh, I believe chapter 17, it records there that Jesus looked on him whom he loved. And he followed him no more. He went away. Uh, you know, so, so we've got to, those that dropped everything to follow him. 
Then we've got those who said, no, well, I've got this excuse and that excuse. I think as Christians, what I'm trying to tell you, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're going to find ourselves many times confronted with many ups and downs along life's way. There's going to be times when you're on the mountaintop, uh, you're rejoicing about the things, uh, everybody's doing what they should be doing, uh, uh, following after him, uh, uh, we're uh, following after him in commitment, we're following after him in belief, we're following after him in moral conduct. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that he didn't, he never, within him was, uh, was uh, no sin, and in him was light and no darkness at all. That's another way of saying the exact same thing. Uh, there was no sin in, the, in Jesus Christ at all. Uh, he was light, and in him was no darkness. Uh, and, we, and, we think ab- and we think about that, he was the perfect one. He was the one here to, uh, that, we should be, that we should be following. Uh, there, was the, there were those uh, uh, that he came to as he taught along the way. There was the woman at the well. We were talking about, uh, uh, talking about that earlier. Uh, there were things that he confronted them with along the way as disciples of Jesus Christ. He says, come and follow me. Uh, and there were times when he went to places that nobody else back in that age and time would even go. The Samaritans and the Jews had nothing to do with each other. Fourth chapter of the book of John, if you want to go in and read the whole story. Uh, uh, but Jesus is going through Samaria on his way, and he stops at a well, uh, and there's a woman there who's getting water. <clears throat> and as I've heard other people say this, uh, I think it's probably true. Uh, people were normally there during the early part of the morning gathering water uh, and so forth. She was there in the middle of the day because possibly she was a little bit of an outcast of society. Uh, And Jesus uh, comes up to her and asks her to get him a drink of water. Now this was was culturally a no-no. But Jesus wasn't into what was cultural. Jesus was into the fact that there was somebody there that was one of his little lambs and one of his little sheep. And he met her along the way. Uh, And uh, uh, he actually told her uh, to go back and tell her relatives. Uh, We don't necessarily think about, uh, sometimes we get the idea in the church here. Well, what's the role for the women? Uh, Well, the women's role is not to be getting up in the church and uh, occupying the uh, preacher's position. That doesn't mean you can't go back to your community and your town and your family and so forth and broadcast abroad what great things Jesus has done for you. You might have have a better ministry in doing that than some of us who think uh, that God's called us into the ministry might be having many times. So... uh, uh, go back and carry those messages. But he comes to her and says, would you get me a drink of water? And she says, you know who, who uh, uh, you know, you know you're asking who you're asking. You're asking the Samaritan woman. Uh, and uh, uh, then he begins to tell her all about herself. Uh, he begins to tell her that the man she's living with currently is not her husband, uh, uh, but she had four husbands uh, uh, and so forth and so on. And uh, he as he began to reveal that he knew all about her, she was amazed at the very things. And Jesus' commandment to her, you know, as as she departed that place, was go and sin no more. I was telling Brother Rodney, I heard uh, Brother Brother Ronald uh, Lawrence yesterday at Grant's Mill use that phrase, no more, and he went through a whole bunch of places. If you ever heard Brother Ronald preach, he can just use all kinds of scriptures. Uh, But I told him, I said, one thing that I thought about in, in that uh, which is important for us. You know, as Jesus, uh, as God gave the, uh, the children of Israel, we've been looking at the book of Exodus, uh, as he gave the children of Israel the, t- the uh, Ten Commandments over there, 
Uh, he didn't say the Ten Commandments aren't, aren't worded like this. The Ten Commandments do not say, uh, well, you know, I know it's possible you may have other gods. It'll be okay. Uh, I wanted you to have, you know, no other god besides me. But, but you know, hey, if it's okay, uh, you know, maybe one god uh, beside me will be okay. I understand there's going to be some breakdowns in there along the way. Uh, he didn't say, don't steal any more than you have to. He didn't say, don't kill unless you have to. Um, he didn't say, well, you know, hey, a little adultery here and there. You know, we understand how it is. That's not the commandments, right? The commandments were, thou shalt have no God beside me. Uh, thou shalt make no idols uh, and so forth. Thou shalt not, no, not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All of those things are in the commandments. And I thought, so Jesus comes to this little lady uh, there that has had four husbands. The man she's living with now is not her husband. And, and he looks at her and says, go and sin no more. <clears throat> now, Jesus knew she was going to sin, right? Uh, he was, I think, specifically saying, don't go and continue to have the sin that you've been having uh, uh, anymore. Uh, and that was possible for her to achieve that. I believe that. Uh, but th just the general commandment, go and sin no more. There are several occasions where he healed people. Brother Adam's been talking about some of these healings that we've had. And he would heal a man. Uh, there would be an indication that maybe there had been a problem with that man in his life. And he would say, go and sin no more. Uh, that was a typical commandment. But what other commandment would you expect the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the God of all gods to say? Would you expect him to say, well, uh, I'm going to heal you, but go and don't sin any more than you have to. No, God's standard, my friends, is go and sin no more. And as we come out of here, if we're going to be disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to know what the standard is. Uh, I have a feeling uh, that uh, Nick Saban, uh, I throw Nick Saban out, uh, not reverentially, uh, uh, but uh, throw it out as a, as a person that we know about here in, uh, in our area, in our community. And he has a standard that he requires people. Sometimes it's called the process. Uh, uh, but he has a standard uh, that he expects people. And when he puts people on the field to play football, he expects the standard to be, you're going to win. He doesn't put them out there and say, well, I got a feeling you're probably going to mess four or five plays up, but hey, uh, four or five plays is okay, uh, you know, this thing, that thing. No, they mess up, he brings them out. So, you know, y'all get the idea. Uh, I mean, he's certainly not God, by the way. Uh, but I'm just saying, having high standards is how you achieve high expectations out of people. And you know what? God has the highest standards for you and me. And he doesn't dumb down, water down, uh, whatever other kind of down. He doesn't bring down his standards to say, you know what, uh, uh, I know you can't make perfection, but I'm going to not expect perfection. No, he expects us to have the highest standards possible to say, we're going to take up our cross and follow him. That's the call for you and me. And so sometimes, I, you know, as we think about being disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to realize if we're going to follow him, the standard's high. The standard's really high. Uh, and so he expects us to strive for all that we can. And you know what the good news is? The good news is God's grace covers all the failures. <laughs> and, and he knew that we were going to fail. And so we can live a 
a life uh, where we don't have to have so be weighted down. Some people in, in life get weighted down by the expectations. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, the, you, you've seen the you've seen the star quarterback come out of high school. You know, everybody expects him to be a superstar. Uh, and when he gets to college, he just doesn't quite have it. Uh, and uh, the expectations of what he uh, he is expected to do becomes a weight and a burden to him, and he begins to crumble under the pressure. Well, I'm here to tell you, we don't have to crumble under the pressure of God's expectations because God has saved us by His grace. It's not by our works. It's not by what you've done. It's not what you're going to do. Uh, and so we can live a, a freedom uh, uh a life of freedom and liberty under the grace of God. And that liberty and freedom is not the liberty and freedom. I can go do whatever I want to. That liberty and freedom is to know that even when I fail, God's got me. He's got my back, whatever other terminology you want to use on it. God's got me upheld by the mercy and grace of the Son of God who died for me on the cross. And so now discipleship can become more of a joy. I'm wanting to paint this picture for you so you can realize discipleship is a high expectation that God and Jesus Christ have for us but it's not shouldn't become a burden to you and me to say how how can I be a, such a great wonderful disciple and yet I'm failing all the time. And as we fail all the time, then, you know the apostle Paul you know, he, he goes through all the struggles of Romans chapter 7. What I would do, I would not. And that I want to do, I don't, you know. And so, But you know what? At the end of it, he says, I thank God that I, my deliverance is through Jesus Christ my Lord. So then he says, so how do I achieve that, that deliverance for me right here and now? He says, you know what? To be carnally minded is death. Carnal, carnal, carnal thinking and carnal minded thinking, natural minded thinking uh, the flesh thinking, well, I'm going to throw out all the terms here, you know, to try to make sure you cover it all. The flesh thinking, carnal thinking, natural mind thinking is death. But spiritual thinking is life in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, spiritual thinking is what sets, sets us free. So how can I be more spiritually minded as I walk through this old world? That's the challenge, isn't it? That, isn't that one of the great challenges for us to say, how is it I keep from being fleshly angry and how is it i may be resolved to be righteously angry when when righteous anger is due and uh, and i'll tell you today for 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 us righteous anger ought to be a a daily a daily what mode of living uh because when we live look around us at what's going on uh, there, there ought to be a righteous indignation boils up inside of us when we see what's uh, the so many, so many flagrant things that are going on in the world today that are just a, you know, flip of the thumb in the, in, the, in the face of God about how He says, you know, He's the Creator and what He's done and and the sacredness of life, whatever age that might be, uh, the sacredness of of, of God's uh, creation here in this whole world and. All of that and just the moral character of life, it ought to cause a righteous indignation to, live, to boil up inside of us. But uh, that righteous indignation is not to become a fleshly indignation and anger. Uh, and I use, the ex- I use the example, you know, uh, should, should abortion bother us? I say absolutely. 
should 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 it be a righteous indignation inside of me? Yes, I'll I'll go along with that. Uh, should it cause me to go down here and shoot up the local abortion clinic? No. <laughs> I mean, uh, we can be righteously angry about what's going on in here in the world without taking up our taking up a sword and a gun and going down and making war with all with all these uh, these sins. So uh, he tells us here this, and let, I want to turn over if we can to the Philippian letter uh, as we think. I want you to follow follow up on this again and just uh, I'm locked, hoping lodge a verse or two in your mind. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not uh, that. The context of that John fourteen, of course, is he's the way to heaven. There is no other way besides him. But I'm going to tell you, he's the way for righteous living. As he's the he's the way for one to follow. He's the way for the moral example that you and I stand in need of. He is the way for self-service and sacrifice. Uh, he's the way uh, when it comes to being an example of being a servant uh, among, among God's children while he's here. He came not to be served... Uh, but to, uh, to be served, but to be a servant himself. He, he set that example. And so when we think about uh, one of the greatest things that afflicts us as a culture today is it's all about me. It's all about me. And so because it's all about me, I'm worried about on Saturday. What do I do for me today? Uh, it's not, and I, I just throw Saturday out as an example because some are, some are of us and used to, most of us, got to at least get a day off on Saturday or whatever. And so, you know, it used to be that way and so forth. Uh, but day to day, we, you know, it's like, well, for me, I'm tired. I know there's things I ought to do. How many of us have said that, right? Uh, I know there's some things, I, but I'm tired. I, it's about me. Well, if, if I take this next two or three hours and chill out and relax uh, versus going and doing something, when I actually do finally get to bed, I'm still going to get the exact same number of hours of sleep. If I'd have gone and done some more, something a little more beneficial with that time, anyway, <clears throat> Philippians, if I don't get over there, I'll just keep beating that drum uh, right there. So in Philippians, he tells us... Uh, and, you know, I hope y'all know, I'm, I'm fussing at me. Uh, I've got more time now than I probably should know what to do with, and I managed to occupy it. It's kind of like building a bigger house. Uh, if you wonder where all that stuff came from, it's because you got a bigger house, and uh, uh, we have the, abil- the innate ability to fill up the space we occupy. And so, uh, uh, you know, we can take the time that we have, and we're going to fill it up with something uh, but we need to fill it up with better things. So he, he tells us over here in the fourth chapter of the book, book of Philippians, to be carnally minded is death. That's in Romans 8. Uh, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Uh, and so he tells us over here in Philippians chapter 4, uh, in talking to these, uh, in talking to these folks at Philippi, he says, uh, My brethren, dearly beloved, long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved, uh, I beseech you, 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 uh, and Sintichi that they be of the same mind and Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, uh, with Clement also and with other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Uh, are you rejoicing? Not a hard, you know, not meant to be a difficult question. I just want to know, are you rejoicing in the Lord? 
Or as you sit here and think about, uh, I didn't say rejoice in everything that's going on in the world. I didn't even say rejoice in everything that's going on in your life. (laughs) Uh, Everything that's going on in your life right now might not be worth rejoicing about, but can you rejoice in the Lord for what God has done for you? And do you think about that? I was reading something the other day about (laughs) uh, this guy. He says, I want to, he says, I get up every morning and, you know, I'm knowing people, he's probably, uh, he probably intends to do this every morning. But anyway, he, uh, he gets, he says, I get up in the morning and I say, I give praise to God's grace. I never read that, but I thought about it and I thought, I need grace for today. I need I need timely grace to live. <laughs> I need uh, compassionate grace to go through this. So I need the grace of God every day. And I, and I have the grace of God for my salvation. Should I not get up every morning and say, praise be to the grace of God. <laughs> and so he tells us here, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. <laughs> uh, let your moderation be known unto all men the Lord is at hand. I think this is good counsel for us today to uh, sometimes uh, it's not our moderation that's known to our friends and neighbors. It's our extremism. It's when we're off way over here or way over there uh, and they say, well, that Charles Kitchens, man, he's, whew, you know, he'll fly off over here and run off over there. And so it's not my moderation that's known. Uh, he's telling us to let our lives be moderate in all things. And uh, even in our compassion, our zeal and service. Uh, I'll say this. Uh, I was talking, I started off this, I'm going to get to the rest of this, but uh, I started off talking about this a little bit and thinking thinking about this. You know, uh, I want us to be followers of the truth. I want us to believe the truth of God's... I want you to know the truth of God's Scripture. But I'll tell you, uh, to know the truth but not to do anything about the truth. Uh, there's a... Somewhere or another, my moderation might be... We say, man, this guy over here, he knows the Bible. He can quote it left and right. How does he live? Oh, he doesn't have anything to do with it over there. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, my moderation, making my moderation known to all men. Man, this guy knows the truth and he... And he, and he he lives the truth, and his life follows right in the middle somewhere. He doesn't. He's not out doing everything. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, now this is uh, this is preaching council preaching on some of this, baby. Uh, but you know, your, your moderation could be known in this. You know what? I can spend all my time uh, on the job, or I can spend all my time on this, and I can become known as the greatest this or that or the other. But my moderation might be me. Mean, I need to make sure my wife hasn't been overlooked. I need to make sure my children haven't been overlooked. I need to make sure uh, the church hasn't been overlooked. I need to make sure my prayer time has not been overlooked. Uh, I, I need to, my moderation needs to be known to all men that I am moderately working in this whole field of discipleship. <laughs> it's not just one thing over here. My discipleship is not uh, that I spend all my time out here in the community knocking on doors uh, trying to get people to come to church uh, and my children hate me. 
Uh, my my spend all my time going off to church meetings, Primitive Baptist, uh, and then uh, yet my church at home is neglected. Uh, uh, I spend all my you follow me. Uh, you begin our moderation should be known that I can do a little bit of all of it, but I don't have to do everything of one of it <laughs> along along the way. So he says, "Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing." Don't be full of care about everything. Oh, Brother Adam, uh, sometime go back over and read the end of the 8th chapter of the book of Romans uh, because over there it tells us neither height nor depth nor any other creature. <laughs> I'm messing with him. <laughs> Should be able to separate us from the love of God. So I, that any creature, that's spiders, uh, any height, uh, any bridges, any water, any depth, neither height nor depth or any other creature is going to separate us from God's love. So anyway, so I've had my fun for the day. Be careful uh, for nothing. Don't worry about, don't be full of care. Don't be worried about everything that comes along. And you say, Brother Charles, that's easier for you to say than for me. Uh, Well, that's right. And I understand that there's things that bother us uh, and on our concerns list. Uh, but he says, don't, uh, don't be careful for nothing, uh, uh, but in everything by prayer. He's, he tells us the answer for us as disciples of Jesus Christ. The, the, the answer for worry is to be in prayer. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known unto God. Uh, Very important for us as we're praying. uh, We can get the idea that praying is all about asking for something. Uh, But prayer should also have a component of it that says, God, today I want to pray and and, in my prayer what I want to say is thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for... My companion, thank you for my children. Thank you for the fact that I have a place I can go, a country and a place I can go to church. I mean, do you get the idea? If we begin to count up our thanksgivings uh, and begin to count up all the things that we should be thankful for and say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for giving me every breath that I never think about today. (laughs) Thank you for giving me every heartbeat that that I don't even have to focus on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Be full, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the peace of God, as we begin to pray more, to meditate more, to think about more as part of discipleship, we should be have our minds on thoughts on the things of God and to be more spiritually minded than carnally minded where there's life and peace and joy and rejoicing. Uh, we can have more peace in, as we go through this whole world. I, you know, there's a lot of things. I, I've told you all this. Uh, the evening news and all that, I've gotten to where I don't even hardly watch it. I don't you know, turn on the morning to see if there's something really going on that I need to know about. Uh, kind of watch the weather. Okay, yeah, there's storms coming tomorrow. Be in prayer about that. Don't worry about it. Uh, uh, with uh, let your requests be made known to God in all in all of these different ways. 
because this old world has got just things that drag us, drag us, drag us, drag us. And, and he tells us that the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You can have a whole lot more peace here in this old world uh, if, you're, if you're trusting God for the outcomes of what comes down the way. Uh, I saw, you know, social media is a thing for that you can laugh at, and sometimes it can be disturbing and all this other stuff. And on this, uh, in our neighborhood, uh, Brother Ronald, in case you don't know, uh, they have the next door neighbor. Uh, you can get on the next door neighbor uh, for for our little neighborhood, and people put things on there, you know, let you know what's going on. So. Last week or two, you know, there's been a break-in over at this house and a break-in over at this house. And lady right down the street from us finds out that somebody was in a car at the unoccupied house right next door to her house the other night. And she says, this is terrifying. Well, it was like two houses down the street from me. And I wasn't terrified at all about it. Uh, I, you know, do I have a concern that, okay, somebody's snooping around there. Yep, got a concern about that. Uh, but I am not terrified by the fact that somebody in an old beat-up pickup truck was out there the other night wandering around, peeking in windows and doors and all this kind of stuff. And Why? Because I trust God. I'm trusting Him. I trust God, and I have an alarm on the house. Okay, I mean, you know. <laughs> God didn't tell me to be stupid, by the way. <laughs> I got dock, I got locks on the doors. I've got the security on the house, and God said, "Don't be stupid just because I told you I'm watching over you." Okay, but I'm trusting, <laughs> I'm trusting God, and so He says, "And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus." Finally, brethren, and I'm going to give you the end part of this before I give you the middle part of this. Uh, if there be any praise, th- if there if there is if there be any praise, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. If you want to know how to be more spiritually minded, so that you get through the trials and troubles of life here, and and you're saying, well, okay, brother Charles, I see it says to be more spiritually minded, be carnally minded is death, but be spiritually minded. But how can I be more spiritually minded? Think on these things. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I'm going to tell you, if you just sum that list up, wrap a bow around it and say, you know what, if I'm going to think about things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and good report, i got to be thinking about Jesus Christ just a little bit. And if I think about my Savior a little bit more, I'll be more spiritually minded. I'll be more thoughtful about reading God's Word. I'll be more thoughtful about, I'm going, I want to be a follower of Him, which means I need to be doing some good in my community. I don't need to be approving everything. In, <coughs> in fact, if I may have to reprimand some people along the way, and it could be that they want to run me out of town because I'm telling them the truth of God's Word... <coughs> But if I'm going to be a follower of his, I've got all that in front of me. I've got joys and sorrows. I've got uh, peace and comfort. Uh, I've also got uh, uh, possible persecution. They killed him, by the way, at the end of his ministry. Uh, uh, just so you know uh, how it worked out. Now, I know, I know he gave up his life. Okay. And I know he did it on purpose. But I'm just telling you, God came down here to serve you and me. And he did that in so many different ways. He healed so many. He confronted demons. Uh, 
and all of that. What a blessing that it was that he was here. Now, he just asked us, take up your cross, follow me. Uh, I'm telling you, as we think about, oh, I I love, I've watched a lot of war stories, movies, so forth over time. And you know the really great leaders a lot of times, they didn't stand in the back and point out where they wanted everybody to go. They got up front and said, come follow me. Best leader in the world while he was here said, come follow me. And that's what he asked us to do. Follow him. He's not going to lead you the wrong way every time. May God bless you as our prayer.